we really more than ever need to be relying on high EQ. It's communication skills, it's influence, it's collaboration, it's relationship building because so much of what we do requires very, very strong partnership. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore. And today my guest is Kirsten Davies, CISO of Estee Lauder. On this episode, Kirsten and I cover the CISO's role in managing not only risk, but reputation, how emotional intelligence is changing the role of the CISO, and strategies for improving your overall incident response process. How has the ability to build relationships communicate outside your department, and do so with empathy change the role of the CISO? Or rather, how do these skills bolster our capabilities in the midst of a crisis? Kirsten, thank you so much for being on the show. For those that don't know you, if you would, please introduce yourself. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Kirsten Davies. I'm the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for the Estee Lauder Companies. So how long have you been in that position? I'm approaching a year and a half now. It's been a very exciting time for us. Uh, It's a change in industries for me um, going into, I've I've done manufacturing in the past, um, but now adding into it uh, more of the retail and and straight to consumer piece has been very exciting. And of course, prestige beauty, luxury beauty and skincare brands. So what do you think is the major change in, and I, I don't know the area of manufacturing, but so you're in that realm and now a uh, very much a, a consumer-based industry. What was a, from a, not from a security standpoint, but from a business perspective, what are the things that you had to sort of brush up on? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Some of the things that I needed to brush up on were the exciting piece about around being directly tied to consumer response, right? So consumer purchasing power, consumer sentiment, analysis, marketing, digital assets, things like that. Of course, coming from a, a banking financial services background, we, we had a lot of interface, of course, with consumers there, with the customers there. But this is a, it's a different and exciting industry to be a part of. We work a lot with influencers and social media and um, reputation and things like that. So that's been, it's been quite an exciting journey and an uplift for me to be focusing in a new set of direction, uh, different directions. You mentioned something there is sentiment management, or at least that as a information source. Is that part of your security program? We assist with that. Um, It's not part of our uh, primary wheelhouse. Of course, our our colleagues in global corporate communications, as well as in global marketing and in each of the brands are really working directly with that, with our relationships with influencers, for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that we do in um, social media, whether it's advertising or bits and pieces like that. What we're assisting with from an information security perspective is, of course, 
a lot of the the ways in which let's say digital sentiment can shift on a dime right so when we when we talk through things that that can absolutely erupt from a positive perspective or even from a pejorative perspective we're helping a lot in those areas of course when there's anything that's happening with regards to cyber incidents globally or or other like organizations that experience exposures that go into the public there's a lot of response on our part in order to pre- prepare the organization for what does that mean right what does that look like from a reputational risk perspective and how are we prepared then for things that may shift on a dime right in in that digital avenue yeah and so in our earlier conversation we didn't cover any of this but this is sort of one of those hidden gems so you have to kind of recap a little bit and then I've got a question you have a a business function that's core to the business that relies on social and consumer and sentiment. There are areas outside of security that that specialize in that or pay very close attention. You're hooked into that. But I heard you say something else that I think is is extremely important. Cyber events, incidents, breaches, problems that may arise, that's a source of information that's going to kind of begin with you. And out of that relationship that you mentioned on whether it's with influencers or marketing or PR or whatever, you have kind of now a commitment, maybe a heightened commitment to share that in that reverse order. So it's not you using that as a as telemetry, you're providing telemetry to them. Mm, is, that, I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, 100%. And, and sometimes it, it, it's great because as the, the program, the CISO program becomes much more visible across the Estee Lauder companies and, and at the higher levels of the organization, you know, I'm as we as we all do as CISOs presenting to the board and having regular um, executive leadership team meetings and things like that, as they are more aware, they're pinging me as well, saying, "Did you see this article? Did you see this in TechCrunch? Did you, you know, whoa, have is our competitor brands X, Y, or Z experiencing this? As you know, I see this in the news. What what's happening with us? Right. So, I feel it's a, a really beautiful kind of revolving door that's now starting to be established where it's a lot of 360 interaction. So yes, I'm providing that um, visibility through the team, through the SOC, through a, a variety of different channels, but I'm also getting pinged more regularly and the team gets pinged saying, Hey, did you see this? Have you seen that? What are we doing in this area? It's great. It's fantastic. If there were an event, let's say a negative event mm-hmm. and you're aware of it and you know that you need to share it out it's going to go likely through some of those channels, right? Through some of that social media, through some of a Twitter feed or something. For the CISO or the security team that doesn't yet have a relationship with their media group, with their corporate communications, with their marketing team, let's say they've, they have a, a relationship maybe with physical security. Maybe they even have some sentiment management or monitoring tools for physical threats or that kind of thing. But they haven't yet made the leap into what you're talking about. What advice do you have for them in getting started in that? So they want to build. They want to have this this connection point into this other business line, business language. Where do they begin if they've never done that? From your perspective, yeah, I think this is one of the 
most important lessons I learned early on in my leadership roles in information security is that the first time your executives hear from you should not be during a crisis. (laughs) Right. We don't ever want to waste a crisis, right? Um, Because it does open up different avenues of opportunity and, and different connection points that can be built. However, this is a critical piece of advice that has served me very well through some coaches and mentors that I've had uh, in, in the security industry. And the sooner one can build that relationship with those executives and, and not just, not just the top of house executives, but also the people that are, that are in the trenches, right? The boots on the ground that are actually writing press releases, the ones that are, that are monitoring social media, the ones that are working through digital market marketing assets and things like that. The sooner one can build a relationship with them, the further that relationship can be taken in times of crisis, the trust mm. will be there already. The, the respect will be there already. That connective tissue that we need will have already started to be being built. And I've, I've experienced that you know, really firsthand um, at the Estee Lauder companies. We have a fantastic group of, of global corporate comms colleagues. They have for decades, really protected the reputation of the organization, protected the reputation of the family, right? The the family name is still on the company, right? Right. Right. And really getting to know them, building that relationship and the rapport and the connective tissue with them when I first came on board has proven to be so critical in everyday operations for us as a CISO program, right? Even even the need to have, for example, drawer statements prepared that can be tweaked based upon whatever event comes up, whatever issue it is that arises, having that, having those drawer statements already socialized with them, aligned with them, worked out with legal, right? Worked out with comms, worked out with compliance, those little uh, tools to have in one's toolbox are so critical during times of crisis. I, I would highly recommend that people build those relationships now, like start doing that now because yeah. it does, it reduces the friction when you do get into an incident environment because those incident environments happen to us all. It's not an, if it will happen, it is a, when it will happen as we know. Yeah. You, you covered a lot there. And I think that that was some excellent uh, advice. If you were giving advice to a mentee, let's say, um, and they're wanting to get started on this. I mean, I heard, heard a couple of things. One, kind of make the introductions now, mm-hmm. you know, it, into where do you get started? Is it the marketing team where you would start? I mean, is it, is it, the, is it corporate communications? Is it a little bit of both? What if, what if those connections don't exist? Who, what are the titles of the people that you reach out to if you're mm-hmm. completely ignorant and you've never, maybe you've been the CISO there for a year and you've never thought of any of this? Who, yeah. who, are, the, who are these custodians that you got to talk to? Who do you reference? Yeah, great question. I think it depends upon your organization. Sure. So for for me in high tech, it was a little bit different than it was in financial services than it was than it is now in retail slash manufacturing slash prestige beauty. So at our organization, I'm making friends and relationships at my peer level. So with the, the other SVPs in the organization, I was introduced in, I asked for, that's, this is a key one. 
I asked for introductions into the top of house level folks, so the EVPs, for example. So the head of global corporate comms, I was introduced to through you know my management staff. With new people who are coming in, I also introduce them to who I feel are their peers, right? In the different functional areas, whether that's finance or HR or or legal or comms or marketing, in order for them to start building that connective tissue as well. As a CISO starting out, if you don't have any relationships whatsoever, I would recommend you ask your your direct contact. So uh, your CIO, your um, COO, for example, who who are the people that you work with, at least on a kind of week to week basis, and ask them for introductions in at kind of the most senior level you can get introduced in at, because that will help you as the CISO build build those relationships that you need, and then ask them once you have the meeting with them. Ask them who should I be meeting with? Right. Who kind of evaluate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it kind of expands from there. So when did you ask? for the introductions. I mean, do you think that's something that somebody should ask for, maybe not in the interview, but as a question to say, hey, am I going to be introduced? Or is it after you've been there a while? Like when when do you start sort of banging that drum? <laughs> Again, depends upon uh, the individual and depends upon the company. Look, I think from having um, had just being blessed to have several different leadership roles across information security, I've learned through my journey to ask for those things upfront. I often ask for those things during an interview process just to understand from the company's perspective that I'm considering working for, right? And serving, who do they think I will be interacting with? Who do they, you know, who do they see as um, my connected tissue, right? So in the interview process, super critical to do that. Once you're in though, it doesn't mean you can't do it if you haven't, if you're already in an organization, right? Estee Lauder companies, we spend a significant amount of time up front introducing people to others because we do so much through relationship at our organization that if you, if one comes in expecting to, hey, my delivery is going to highlight my value, mm-mm, mm-mm. your relationships and your right. connective tissue will highlight the value that you bring to the organization, right? So in other organizations, I've 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 asked for it later when I realize, ooh, there's there's a, a whole part of my portfolio here and, and part of the mandate that that my team delivers that I need better partnership in. And and that's when I'll just say, hey, does it make sense? Hey right. boss, hey manager, hey peer, does it make sense for me to have conversations with so and so and so and so and so and so? I think this is one of the things, just to put in a side note comment. This is one of the areas where I really feel there's a shift in the role of the CISO. We really more than ever need to be relying on high EQ. It's communication skills, it's influence, it's collaboration, it's relationship building, because so much of what we do requires very, very strong partnership. And historically, a lot of CISOs have been uh, incredible, incredible technologists, right? Very deep in a specialized area, then broadening out because we need to do so much in, in the CISO program. But now more than ever with, with 
escalating risk portfolios of the organization, including cyber, as top five, you know, top 10 for sure, if not top five risk, if not the number one risk that an organization will face. Yeah, no doubt. Must have those relationships and that EQ to build camaraderie, partnership, trust, influence, things like that. Yeah, there's a ton there. I completely agree. Um, You know, you mentioned EQ. That was something that wasn't thrown around. You know, emotional intelligence, you didn't even hear that word up until maybe a couple of years ago. I think that, and you're hearing other things now. We just talked about this the other day uh, servant leadership, right? And what does that mean? How does that that tie into all of what you said? I want to grab an idea, though, or something you shared earlier that's a a tactical thing, um, but more of a a relationship-based work product, which is back to the the drawer statement you mentioned. And these are sort of predefined statements that you would use in a crisis. I don't think that everyone is familiar with what those are. Hmm. Could you share with us what, it sounds like it's a community project, if you will, um, but it's it's for the important reasons. And some people may not be familiar with what that is or, or who hmm. would help create them. Like why why is it important to generate a safe statement or statements before there's a problem? That's a great question. Um, because of the velocity of news, of social media posts, of, we'll just call it word traveling, <laughs> because of the velocity at which incidents or events can be reported, brought to the media, brought into the public eye, the narrative with which our companies respond to these things, and our, all of our PR colleagues will understand this. This is bread and butter for them. The narrative with, with which an organization responds and the speed with which they respond determines a lot in, for example, in our world, it's part of incident response, right? It determines perception. It determines capability in the midst of crisis, right? So drawer statements are um, statements, generic, generic statements that one would have pre-aligned, pre-agreed that can be released uh, to the public, to the press, to Twitter, to LinkedIn, to any kind of social media, which would say something along the lines of, and I'm just ballparking this, kind of spitballing this, we're aware of XYZ incident. And we have released or we have rallied all available support in order to um, address this issue. We as a company value the security and safety of our employees, our consumers, our retail partners, and our stakeholders, right? Some, something, you know, quote unquote. It's basically a drawer statement that says you can kind of fill in the blank of whatever the issue is. Certainly, when we're dealing with with cyber issues, data issues, um, regulatory, things like that, there's going to be a whole playbook, which also needs to be well well codified, well rehearsed. (laughs) And and those drawer statements would be a part of your playbook to say, oh, if we have a data exposure, here's our drawer statement. If it pops up on social media, we immediately have a response that we don't have to churn through 14 different phone calls and five email strings in order for everybody to opine on whether it's okay to release this publicly. We've already got one that everybody's already agreed on, right? Correct. That's what a drawer statement is. 
you covered kind of what it is and even the benefit, and I completely agree. I think the other benefit, though, could be for many organizations is, is, is let's say you lack this. Mm. Uh, you, you lack these statements. You haven't thought of this. The creation of them is, as an exercise, forces you to meet the people necessary in order to create it. Yep. So if you don't know who to talk to, and let's say that this is now, for those listening, if you're a CISO and you, especially if you, let's say you have no budget and you're like, what am I going to (laughs) do? This is something that costs very little, Yes. but is of high value because you're going to meet a lot of people. You're going to create a work product that's relevant and is necessary. And because of this, what's mentioned, the velocity, controlling the narrative, the speed, in this part. This is part of your IR program. And I would encourage anyone listening that has any interest in this, or actually, if you, even if you have no interest in it, you should do it anyway. Because <laughs> I think this is back to all of what you mentioned earlier. This is a, an exercise to, to improve both in your program and your human relationships. So I, I really like this. And I don't think enough people do this. So that's why I want to hit on it a little harder here. Yeah. I think it's also It's a precursor. It can be a precursor to your tabletop exercises. So as you're making these relationships and you're hammering through pronouns (laughs) and adjectives, right? Because that's what will end up happening is you will literally wordsmith every, you'll wordsmith commas, right? In, In these drawer statements. Sure. As you're working through that with your stakeholders and, and with your, with your colleagues, you can use that as an opportunity to say, let's practice this, right? Let's practice this in real time. So in the eventuality of, of a data exposure, what happens when <laughs> our CEO is called out on Twitter and, and there's a whole diatribe started on how awful the company is with c- consumer data? How can you get away with it? You know, Okay, let, let's practice this because that's really what happens. That that is what happens. So it's good. It's a it's a great precursor for tabletop exercises and getting people in the mode of thinking through. Okay, this is real time. You're not going to have two weeks to figure out what to do. We're we're we'll be lucky to have two hours to figure out what to do. And so this this falls. I get, one of the reasons why I love this is I may have mentioned this before. I probably have uh, my favorite tabletop exercise period. And it's actually this, is having an organization write their breach notification letter. So pretending they've been breached Mm -hmm. to write the letter as in in a tabletop, right? So I have a tabletop exercise involving the execs and they have to write their letter. They've not had a real breach, but they're writing the letter as if they have. So what are they going to say? What should they say? What are they compelled to say? How do they want to be seen in public? Uh, how do they want to be evaluated? If they state something in that letter, do they have the capability today to even back it up? Right. So we discovered. Do you have the ability to discover anything? Mm. Oftentimes, you'll see people say we've we've engaged or or brought in outside experts, which is a valid statement. But does that then mean that you have no internal experts? Mm. Yeah. You've contacted law enforcement. Okay. Good. Which law enforcement, and do you already have a relationship with them? And who owns the relationship with them as well? Because there could be multiple people who have relationships. 
with law enforcement as well. Absolutely. And so so you take these sort of five or six or seven or eight things that are always stated and you walk through them. Where are we going to host the message? Mm. What if our site's been hacked? Do we host it there? You know, do we have an auxiliary location that's that can host this? That's not on our primary domain. Uh, what you know, how we're going to manage inbound phone calls? What you know, it could be any number of things. But this exercise helps with all of what you've just mentioned, and it's it's really an expansion. It's kind of a hybrid, right? It's a, it's a it's a predefined statement, but the in creation of it, it's an opportunity to then kick off other work streams after the fact to kind of bolster or, or improve on all the stuff that you need to do. I'm smiling and nodding while you're talking about this because that's so true. And essentially what you're talking about there is you're tabletopping the creation of a drawer statement because that that could then end up becoming your template for a public disclosure, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that is um I hope people begin adopting this. I I when I started talking about this about a little over a year ago, I I wasn't aware of anybody sort of doing this and and I called it sort of the Nobel effect and it was real quick, Alfred Nobel, you know, he had the Nobel Prize, but he was actually a war profiteer. And he saw his obituary in the paper, which was actually his brother who died. And the French wrote this obituary. It said, the dealer of death is dead. And uh, he's like, I got to do something to change the perception. So I'm going to improve this. So when I die, I'm going to have a better obituary. And so he starts the Nobel Peace Prize, changes. So he has that preemption in that. And the, the, kind of the analog into the cyber world is your breach notification letter is sort of your obituary. And so how do you then use that as a trigger point? So write the obituary before you pass on, (laughs) write the breach letter before you have your breach. (laughs) So Use Alfred Nobel as, as sort of the, the catalyst, you know, to, to think about these ideas. And that's what, what got me going on this was actually doing some outside of cybersecurity reading that got me thinking back about cybersecurity as twisted as that is. But you're, you're doing an absolute, you know, a, a certain version of that already with these uh, statements, which I think is awesome. So mm-hmm. a little weird extra story for the... That's great though. It's fantastic. <laughs> for those listening that... Always learning, right? Always learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, I mean, we've, man, we've covered a lot already. Um, I always ask this and I'm sure you'll have a great answer for it. I mean, what, what advice you know, for those that maybe don't have a mentor today, or maybe they've got a crappy manager, I, I like to ask this type of question, but what advice do you wish you would have had earlier in your career? That's a great question, Steve. It's not related to security. So I hope that's all right. <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, let's hear it. I think that coming out of school and coming out of, you know, whether that's university or college or some folks are, are going straight to the military service and then um, coming into the private sector. I didn't spend enough time interviewing the company I was going to be working for. Hmm. I spent all of my focus time on interviewing well, right? And being an appealing candidate for whatever role it was that I was, that I was uh, applying for or, or, or vying for, if you will. And we're in such a fantastic time right now. And I think some of this is thankfully, due to our millennial colleagues who are looking now to be a part of companies that value social justice or causes, right? They're looking more for for work that matters, meaning and matter. And I 
I really would have told my younger self, and I, I do tell this to mentees now and to people who intern for us and, and just different people that I I'd, I'd work with, whether it's um, women in cybersecurity groups or, or younger girls coming through STEM education and, and things like that. Spend more time interviewing the company. Look at the culture of the organization. Value whether the company fits your ethos, your Mm. ethics, your work morale, right? Then you do about trying to put on a good face for your interview, right? Ask ask the tough questions of the people about the organization. What do they value, right? right? And ask for meaningful metrics on when they say they value something, when they say they value inclusion and diversity, what does that look like for them? Ask them to show that to you. Right. right. Is it lip service or is it actually real? Exactly. Right. Exactly. I think it is changing and for the better. I remember <laughs> many years ago, I fell into a similar trap where I, it didn't really matter. I mean, we wanted to go work for good companies. We didn't want to go work for a crappy company, but <laughs> we didn't really care if they treated us poorly, or at least mm-hmm. I didn't. And the company culture was very much secondary, or it might be, it might've been something that you thought about maybe one day a year Mm. and mission didn't matter quite so much. So I was equally at fault, I think, for not thinking about it. It wasn't necessarily as much of a priority. I just wanted to not be broke anymore, but I (laughs) I didn't want to be in debt anymore. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember thinking of this stuff and having, but I also felt especially earlier in my career, like you look back and you think, God, all the hours I gave for very little treated very poorly, you know, no sleep, you know, no bad, awful, shitty management. Mm. People that are, that have no, you, gosh, you get back to some of the earlier statements you make, you know, emotional intelligence, no way, throw that out. There's no, there's no, there's no EQ. And so, you know, you miss out. You not only is it a bad working environment, but you're also deprived of maybe having someone to pattern your career after. Indeed. Which is the other sort of, you know, if you're not, if, if, if you're in a, an environment that allows or lacks, I should say, that lacks mission, that lacks these, these better qualities, then how might you turn out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like that answer. Uh, I, I, we've not had that given. So interview the company, yeah. interview, yeah, interview and make them, force them into kind of proving it in the process. Yeah. And I think too, that's becoming so much more important even, even today. And I don't want to put a, you know, a date or a timestamp on, on our discussion, but we're in the midst of a global shift in how we see work, um, in a, in a global shift at a human scale, at a very personal scale, in addition to a professional scale, right? And wow, do I value empathy. (laughs) I value it from my peers. I value it from my leaders. I I value it from my family, from my friends. And and I think that in, in the midst of this, I'm hoping, hoping that one of the good things, one of the silver linings to come out of this is that we in corporate life start to value this whole notion of empathy and care, right? In addition to 
work ethic, right? In addition to just getting stuff done, it's become so important that, you know, starting meetings now, asking people how they are, not in the American way of, hey, how you doing? And then, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but in the real way, which is, how are you doing? Right. How are your kids doing? How's, how, how are your parents, right? How, how are your plants? Are your plants healthier now that you're working from home, right? You know, things like that, 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 that just show that that's the kind of company I want to be a part of, right? That's the kind of culture I want to foster in my teams, because that's a part of culture I want to be in as well. Right, right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you covered a lot there. I think that that's, we lack that, but maybe this is the, maybe part of the silver lining of this, that maybe this is a bit of grounding. And maybe those that haven't thought about this stuff can, can work on it uh, a little more. This is the opportunity uh, for that today, now. Yeah. I'm, I, so I assume, are you, is your team generally virtual or is it normally all together? And, and I assume it's all virtual now, right? It's all virtual now. Um, I do have a global team that is a mighty, mighty workforce of, of folks who just ugh, love to solve problems and, and are absolutely dedicated and committed to making ways where there are no ways, right? Um, we're all virtual now. We've primarily been in the office, um, although you know, globally in different offices, the preponderance of my team sits in, um, in the New York City area in Long Island City. And um, we have a lot of FaceTime with one another. We have a lot of interaction time, water cooler chat time, right? So in in ways like that, um, we've been trying to recreate some of that environment now that we're virtual. And I've put together, for example, three weekly meetings, just touch bases with with the leadership team. I, I have a weekly open office time where I literally just open up a Zoom meeting and anybody from my team can pop in and say hello. And they can either, you know, say, hey, I've got this. Can you help me with it? Or it can just be just people chatting as if yeah. trying to recreate this office environment of what you would do when you come in and see people and go, hey, how was your evening? And what did you do this weekend? And things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different time. It's a very different time. So to, to clarify for those listening, you just have, we used to call them open gym, which is back to you as a kid, you'd open, you know, you'd go play basketball or volleyball. So you have an open virtual gym where people can just, you hold your office hours and anybody can join for any reason. Yeah. I do it once a week for an hour. Okay. And that seems to be, that's, that's where the, they're loving it right now. If they need more from me, then of course I'll open up more. But we're we're doing that right now. The the LT gets a lot more of my time simply because they're they usually have a lot of questions and they want to get to work, which is which is great. But I, I know our teams are just our people. Our teams need time with us, right? Yeah. As leaders. Yeah. And they wanna they want a sense of normalcy in the midst of these extraordinary times. There was um before I got into sort of the the crisis and incident and breach response part of my career, I was an average leader trying to be a good one. I was a former technician, but one of the things I did right, I took over some teams who had had maybe some, some poor leadership and they were, they were actually running kind of scared. They were afraid for a lot of different reasons. But one of the rules or, or kind of statements I had is that you can call me for any reason 
personal or professional, 24 hours a day, anytime, any day. And that's my commitment to you. You may call me and I will answer. I said, if there's something critical at the time when my father was ill and had some other, I said, there may be, a, I may have to call you right back. I said, but you, I grant you that and I am happy to take that call. And they did. And it wasn't often they, you know, that was used carefully, but I accidentally stumbled upon that. And I had people, you know, these are teams I managed now years ago that even wrote like cards and, 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 you know, get letters after I had, had gone. And to be clear, this, those times were nothing like what we're in right now, but there was stressful times. We all have stressful times at work, uh, but they were thanking me for this accidental discovery, but it was, it ties back into trying to be a better, a better leader. And, uh, frankly, I still get choked up kind of thinking about it. You know, these folks, you know, saying, Hey, you know what? Some of the guys never had a, a father like figure and in their life, but we consider you that because you were there for us, giving us sort of life advice if we needed it, you know, these you know, younger, uh, younger staff that, that maybe needed help. And so they, the output of that though, is that once they knew that you had their back and there's a lot more that goes into this, they would, they would run through walls. They, they would, they would work when you told them not to, you know, to say, Hey, like, you know, so that's sometimes that's, that's the, some of the beauty at a human level that we have the opportunity to form by doing this amazing job, getting to work in cybersecurity and be a leader. So there's this wonderful opportunity and it seems in our conversation today and in an earlier conversation, you're seizing this and, and, and leading this. So this is, I, I applaud you for putting these ideas together in your mind and, and articulating them and sharing them today. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. This is, what a great story. That's incredible. That's really incredible. I think that when we, when we value our team as people more than we value our team as output, Mm. We can get to those places where people do, they will run through walls. That's that's such a great image because they will, like some of them do that regularly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But they know that you, that you value them as an individual, as a, as a person. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just start calling you Mr. EQ now. That's awesome. Oh Oh, my. Uh, I don't know if I'm deserving of that, but I, (laughs) but I I, I love it. You know, I had a we we had an for those listening we had an earlier conversation and and I, I took all these notes and and we could do multiple shows I think but there's a there's a section that kind of at the the last bit of notes that I took about our chat that I was really impressed with is when I asked you what you what you loved and this won't be a surprise based on the rest of the conversation or the earlier conversation but you talked about building talent mm-hmm. and you mentioned, and I bolded it and made it red. What is a, a protector? You mentioned talking about building the next generation, and then there's these the idea of of a of a protector. What what is that notion? What's that concept? Across the time that I've been working in in security, one of the things that I've noticed is that people who really love what we do in information security, cybersecurity data security, whatever it is that we want to call it, even physical security, fraud defense, things like that. People who really love what they do have this whole vein inside of them that they protect. They, they, they protect the people around them. They, they protect their families. They, they protect their, their loved ones. They, they, they have this whole 
it's just a, a, a low burning flame somewhere inside of their soul that says, I'm doing this because it's important to protect people, whether it's their money or, you know, if you're in financial services or it's, or it's their, their livelihoods or, or it's the, the products that they consume. I mean, you can extrapolate here, there, and, and, and everywhere. But really, I, I found over and over that in so many of us in information security, security in general, that's, that's that, that low burning flame that continues to fuel the engine of what we do. And I look for that in candidates. Mm-hmm. I look for that, that, that lean, if you will, that bend in them. I ask questions that will reveal that or yeah. that will show me that they don't have that, that it's just a job for them. Because at the end of the day, we get asked to put in often very long hours. We get asked to run through walls. <laughs> we, right. we get asked to um, think and rethink and design and redesign and and award exceptions and then and then pull exceptions back. And then we get asked to do so much stuff. I, I feel so strongly that that if that low burning flame of an engine is not there inside that individual, they won't have the stamina. They won't have the stamina for it right. because it demands so much of us as individuals. What are some of the questions? Not all of them, but what are the, you, you said you ask certain questions <laughs> there or not. Like what are those interview type questions? Yeah. Is, what's a couple things that, what are the tells? Tells for me are, yeah, you know, you're putting me on the spot now. Tells for me will be, um, I'll ask someone to describe a situation that they've been in where it's, it depends on the level that they're coming in in the organization, right? So leaders would ask a question around their team. Um, individuals would ask a question around, you know, a friend situation or a family situation, just to, to have them describe in their own words when a difficult situation has arisen and, and how they responded to that. How did they, how did they, it's not just how they responded. How did they think through it right. in order to get to the response that they chose? And I'm actually not looking for how they responded to it. I'm I'm looking for a reveal of of what their their ethos is, what fuels yeah. them, right? What yeah. what motivates them? Are are they are they there's multiple things. Are they an analytical thinker? Are they a synthesis thinker? Right? Mm-hmm. Are they looking for easy way outs? Are they are they looking for, you know, are, are they looking for path of least resistance or are they looking for complexity? that they can then kind of unpack and tinker with. All of them are good answers, right? They're, they're, it's all good, and it's all good skill sets to have on a team. But when you start to get people to describe a personal situation that they've been in, without going into HR questions, please, don't get <laughs> right. in trouble. But you know, when, when you ask them to describe how they personally walk through a problem, how they personally think through things, there's reveals that come up. There oh, really yeah. are. Yeah. I used to ask, tell me about your worst day. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, um, wow. And on the high side, it was, of what are you most proud? Mm. And that those are always, would always yield generally, not always, but generally something very interesting. Mm. Um, and then you can talk about all of that. So it, I'll ask people things like, do you, you know, tell me about a time 
when you were working with animals, for example, and I'm a huge mm. animal lover. Everybody knows that about me. But yeah. I think that there's a, a reveal that comes in how people think about those who cannot speak for themselves and, mm. and those who cannot defend themselves. And that will tell me whether somebody's a protector or not. No question. Animals and uh, often, you know, the underrepresented, the elderly, right, to have that kind of, but animals are a, a safe kind of topic area that I, I've actually never asked that, but I'm, I think in particular, I, I like, I love people, but I like animals <laughs> uh, cre- greater than, than, I really than like animals. Yeah. <laughs> especially dogs. I, I, I have one final. Sure question that we ask uh, all the guests and and you've you've already answered it but I'll give you a chance to really um share uh, again it's pursuant to the name of the show which is the new CISO what does being a new CISO mean to you it's a great question it means a lot of things to me it means servant leadership it means People being able to rely on what I do, not just what I say. Hmm. It means challenging myself to know as much about my own acumen as I need to, while also learning the business acumen. That's Mm -hmm. critical. It's, for me, patience, 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 depending upon the industry that we find ourselves in as CISOs. Some things can be done quickly and some things cannot be done quickly. And having the patience and persistence and the resolve and the strength to withstand and 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 not just withstand, to stand. Yeah. And yep. stand on your principles, to stand on what what's needed and knowing why it's needed and knowing how to get how to get to yes, how to get to the answer that the organization needs, right? I could, I could talk about this topic <laughs> a lot. I think, I think what you are hearing from me, Steve, is that I've, I feel the new CISO needs to be so much more than technical. We, we need to be great leaders. We need to be great communicators. We need to have personal resolve and personal strength, right? Um, There's so much that's demanded of us on a daily basis that we need to have our source of strength be constantly refueled and filled, right? And we need to have great people around us. And we need to also be willing to work with people who, who challenge us because that's how we get better. We continue to get better. I very much agree. Uh, Kirsten, you've been a wonderful, extremely wonderful guest. Thank you for all of what you shared and the time you've made for us today. It's been such a pleasure to be on this. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.